the reading of the scriptures from uh, the gospel according to Luke, uh, chapter 22, uh, reading verses 54 to 62. I invite your uh, reverent hearing of God's word, uh, hearing as well uh, in faith. So from Luke chapter 22. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. And that's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you to join me again in the time of uh, prayer. Father, we come again uh, to uh, the throne of grace and mercy, the throne on which sits our great God who rules all things. For thou art the maker of all things in the heavens and the earth and the sea. We magnify your name, O Lord, and you are greatly to be praised. We are thankful that we may worship you in the splendor of your holiness, and also in the splendor of the holiness of the righteousness of Christ that he has given us when we were brought to faith in him. We thank you for your fatherly care, how you watch over us, you provide our daily needs, and all things necessary for life and godliness. Uh, We have brought a measure of what you have provided in return uh, for the service that you would Blessed unto uh, the ministry of the gospel, um, our, our offerings unto you. We seek your blessings upon it, not just in the things that we give of monetary value, but of ourselves, our time, our talents, and every gift that you've given us to be used for the welfare of others and the glory of God. We thank you for the privilege of praying for the needs of others. Um, We are a church full of people, poor and needy, in need of all manner of grace and help. And you know our needs, each one and corporately. And so we commit our cares and needs to you, knowing that you care for us. But we pray particularly for those who are not here because of illness or age or infirmity. Be near to them um, uh, and may they uh, have hope in the Lord as they go through whatever difficult trials and circumstances, as we all should, we should wait upon the Lord. Give us grace to do that. We ask you to intervene in every manner of issue of life that causes us distress, that we might 
walk through those times in a way that is upright and pleasing to you, um, in a way that glorifies all that you have done for us. Um, we are thankful for uh, this place where you have provided a place of gathering where we can uh, meet as by people to worship you and to hear your word. Uh, thank you this morning for uh, Ronnie and his devotion to you. He has given himself first to you and then to the ministry of the word. Bless him, bless his family, all who are gathered here. Uh, and we look to you now, Lord, to bless the word to us, your word which is firmly fixed forever in the heavens, your word which is full of great and precious promises to us. May your spirit take that word to us this morning. Apply it to our hearts and minds that we might go away full because we have met with you in the word. And also prepare us for a time of that special fellowship in the communion of the Lord's table. All these things we ask in the name of him who came down from heaven for us and for our salvation, even Jesus Christ. Amen. Thy will be done. Lord, hear our prayers. Well, it is uh, said that we learn more from our failures than we do from our success. And I think that may be true. I know certainly in the right context, uh, failure can be a great motivator. And for instance, we think of uh, Thomas Edison and his multiple thousand attempts to find the right filament for a light bulb. And yet he continued each time he failed to drive himself forward to that ultimate time when he would be successful, of which we are all beneficiaries today as we look upward to the lights that are above our heads. For the wise, failure ought to be a great teacher, and that's especially true in our spiritual lives. We ought to grow as the result of learning the lesson of our failures. And in the case before us today, we are meant to learn. We're meant to learn from Simon Peter's failure. Every gospel records this tragic failure and denial of the great apostle Peter, not in order to heap shame upon his head and to expose his cowardice, but in order that we might learn the same lesson that he learned, and that is the lesson of failure and restoral. Because failure ought not to be the beginning and end of the story in our lives, but failure ought to be leading us by God's grace toward those places of restoral and then, of course, of ultimate usefulness. So we are going to learn today, by God's grace, that the bitter failures and disappointments of our lives are often God's way of preparing us for greater service in His kingdom. What do we learn then? If we're meant to learn lessons, what do we learn? First of all, we learn that the flesh is weak. <laughs> Neither the Lord's forewarning of Peter of what was just ahead, nor Peter's sincere determination not to fail his master and his Lord in such a way, neither of those prevented him ultimately from failing. The reason the flesh is weak. Let's look back earlier in the chapter in uh, verses 31 and following where the Lord told Simon, forewarned Simon, expressed to Simon the nature of the spiritual battle. Simon, Simon, he says in verse 31, Behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you 
that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And he, being Peter, said to him, Lord, with you I'm ready to go both to prison and to death. And he said, I tell you, Peter, the cock will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. Jesus forewarned Peter of the great spiritual struggle that was about to commence and that Peter was being sifted, if you will, in this great spiritual battle that Satan had asked permission of the Lord to sift him like wheat and that that it, as he Satan would sift Peter his desire, that is, Satan's desire would be to crush Peter, would get Peter to deny the Lord, to forsake the kingdom of Christ, to forsake the gospel. And if Satan can strike a a blow at one of the strong leaders of the group of apostles, he certainly could fracture the whole group. That's what he had in mind. Jesus warned him, warned Peter about this, and he told him exactly how the attack would come in verse 34. You're going to deny me, and you're not going to deny me once, but you're going to deny me three times. Peter meant what he said in verse 33, right? When he said, Lord, with you I'm ready to go both to prison and to death. He was sincere about that. No insincerity in Peter, every bit of determination within him, every possible nerve in his body was standing ready. Lord, not me, not me, not me. I'm ready. I'm ready to go to prison. I'm ready to die for you. And he meant it with all of his heart. Yet neither the Lord's forewarning nor the great and sincere determination of the apostle prevented him from this tragic failure because the flesh is weak. He did not intend to deny his Lord and he even proved his sincerity in a way by putting his life on the line a little bit later when he drew out his sword and he struck the first blow. Right? We find this in verses uh, 49 and 50 of the same chapter. And when those who were around him, around Jesus, saw what was going to happen, that meaning the disciples, when they saw what was going to happen, the Lord was being arrested and all this was, was happening before their eyes, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And a certain one of them, we learn from other gospels that this is Peter, a certain one of them, struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And that's Peter. And so when earlier when Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to die for you, and they weren't sure, the apostles were confused. They had not seen the Lord in weakness. They had not seen the Lord yield himself in such a way. They didn't understand fully the plan and purpose of God in Christ at this time. And so he thought, well, this is it. This is where I, the Lord said, I'll deny him, but I'll pull the sword out right now and I'll take the first blow. And all of us apostles, though we're not soldiers, we'll fight these men and we'll win the victory in a physical way, in our physical strength, in our mental capability, in our determination. We'll win the battle for the Lord. But notice what the Lord said. That wasn't at all the nature of the battle. Verse 51, Jesus answered and said, stop, no more of this. And he touched the ear of the one who had his ear cut off and he healed him. Amazing the spiritual blindness of the wicked, isn't it? To see something like that and yet still not believe. But the best of men, as the saying is, are men at best. Now you've heard part of that saying, right, before. Let me read you the whole quote from J.C. Ryle from his expository thoughts on the Gospels. He says the best of men are only men at their very best. Patriarchs, prophets and apostles, martyrs, fathers, reformers, Puritans, all are sinners. 
who need a Savior. Holy, useful, honorable in their place, but sinners after all. That is so true even of the great apostle Peter. What Simon Peter did not have was power over the weakness of his flesh. Neither the Lord's warning or Peter's sincere desire and determination prevented him from failing, and neither will ours. When the apostles were confused and distraught by the Lord's being arrested and by the the night and by all of the things that were happening, the bold and the strong and the confident apostle Peter folded like a house of cards, right? Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. And this is what was happening in the great spiritual battle. The flesh is weak. We're not only meant to learn that lesson and not have confidence in ourselves, but we're to learn the lesson of what Simon Peter didn't have and what he did have truly in his heart. We could call this the haves and the have-nots, okay? As we think about the account of Peter denying the Lord, we should recognize the very important fact that Absence of ability does not mean absence of true faith. To deny the Lord in this way shows a real lack of power, shows a real flaw in character. It shows a real inability on Peter's part, but what it doesn't show is a lack of genuine faith in his heart. Do you remember back to verse 32 where the Lord said, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Your true and genuine existing faith in your heart, Peter, I've prayed that it won't fail. What Peter didn't have was ability to win this spiritual battle, to win in the fight and to claim a victory, but what Peter did have was a kernel, a mustard seed of genuine faith. And Jesus said, if you have faith, true faith, genuine faith as a mustard seed, you can do all things. Because it's real, it's genuine, and it's true. It doesn't always have to be great. If you're aspiring to great things, I applaud you. If you're asking God to do great things through you and give you great victories, it's the right thing to pray for. But I also want to encourage you, if you have had bitter failures and defeats, it is not a lack of genuine faith. It is a lack of ability. And genuine faith, though it be as small as a grain of a mustard seed in the power of the Spirit and in confidence in Christ and in trust and patience in Him, grows to be a great tree that everyone can benefit from. The absence of ability doesn't mean the absence of real and true faith. Peter failed three times. He had three opportunities. He denied the Lord and he waited and he thought about it. Oh, why did I do that? Why did I do that? Pretty soon they confronted him again. Will I be strong this time? Am I ready this time? No, denial number two, failure again. Oh, failure two. Well, I won't deny him a third time. Third time comes around, failure. Failure, failure, failure. He didn't have ability, but what he did have was true faith. Jesus said, I'll pray that your existing faith, your real and genuine faith in your heart that I've given to you will not fail. And then he says something else. When you've turned again, when you've come through this trial, and when you've come through this temptation and you're on the other side, strengthen your brothers with what you've been through. Strengthening them by saying what most of us would say, 
Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Ronnie Andrews, and let me tell you of all my wonderful successes. And in my wonderful successes in life, you will also be encouraged to have wonderful successes. Now, that was not what Peter was going to use to encourage the apostles, right? Because that's great if you've had wonderful successes. Thank God for them. But what about the tremendous, tragic failures? Strengthen the brethren. Your faith won't fail. Peter's faith didn't fail. His courage failed. His determination failed. His willpower failed. But his faith didn't fail because Christ gave that faith to him and it was real. And because Christ prayed for him that his faith would not ultimately fail. Christ recognized the battle. Christ recognized that Peter, even though he was a great apostle, was no match for Satan and all of the things that he could throw in to try to destroy the early church. So Jesus said, I'm going to pray for you, Peter. You're going to come out on the other side of this because I'm praying for you. I'm holding you. I'm giving you ability not to forsake me ultimately. Peter was preserved and enabled to strengthen other disciples and many, many like us, like you and me today. That's grace, isn't it? Let's look in Isaiah chapter 42 for a moment in verse 3. In Isaiah 42 and uh, chapter 42, it's a servant song. Pointing to our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate servant, who obeyed the will of God in our behalf. In Isaiah 42, um, beginning in verse 3, actually we'll just read verse 3. Speaking of the servant son, it says this of him concerning how he deals with us and how he holds us. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. <laughs> you know what's... A bruised reed is, is, is bruised and just about to fall over, isn't it? It's got a weak spot. It's got a real weakness. And it won't even take a, a strong gust of wind to break that reed all the way over. And a dimly burning wick, it's a flame that's just about to go out. I mean, it's got just a little bit of spark of life in it, but it, it won't take much at all. It won't be much time at all, and that dimly burning wick is going to go out. But the way the great servant of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, deals with us, when we are that reed that is broken to the point of collapse, and we are that dimly burning wick, He knows how to come along and keep us and preserve us and hold us because He loves us. He knows our frame, it says in Psalm 103. He remembers that we're but dust because He made us. And so the Lord Jesus, with great love and great care and great concern for Peter, He prayed for him that his faith wouldn't fail. And his faith didn't fail. Now we're coming back again to Luke chapter 24, um, excuse me, chapter 22. And I want you to see that there's a great, not only did Peter's lack of ability not mean a lack of true faith, but there's a great difference between a denier and a betrayer. And we have a contrast put in front of us here in, in this chapter. Because there were two apostles that, that made tragic choices. One was Peter when he denied the Lord. The other was Judas when he betrayed the Lord ultimately and showed what was who his master truly was, and it wasn't the Lord. Peter denied the Lord because he was being sifted in a great spiritual battle that he recognizes he was not powerful enough to overcome, and he was learning the lessons that we're talking about this morning. But Judas betrayed the Lord. And in each case, it proves what was in the heart of these men, both apostles called by the Lord, both spending three and a half years with Jesus in His earthly ministry, both seeing all of His miracles, walking with Him, hearing Him, all of that. They saw it all. 
while Peter denied the Lord, Judas betrayed the Lord. Look in verse 47. While he, that was Jesus, was still speaking, behold, a multitude came, and the one called Judas, one of the twelve, was preceding them. He was out in front of the group, and he approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Oh, in the Psalms it says to the kings of the earth, kiss the Son, lest he be angry with you. You don't want to kindle his anger for his wrath is great and mighty, and there is no recovery once he has determined to destroy. Peter was a denier. Peter was a failure in this particular case and on the human side. But he wasn't a betrayer. He wasn't a liar. He wasn't loyal to Satan. He wasn't following the desires of the flesh like Judas was. What Simon Peter didn't have was ability, but what he did have was true faith. The haves and the have-nots. One more place, and it's Matthew chapter 25, verses, uh, verse 29. Matthew 25, 29. And maybe it'll shed some light on this verse for you. The haves and the have-nots. Matthew 25, 29. At the end of the parable of the talents, Jesus says this, a paradoxical, strange saying to be sure, but I think we can understand it when we think of those who have true and genuine faith and those who do not. For to everyone who has more shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. I understand that to mean a nugget of true and genuine faith. Though it be small, though it be tested with fire, Though it reveals our weaknesses, though it teaches us to trust in the great power of Christ, ultimately it is the haves and the have-nots. Those who are born again by the Spirit of God, those who have trusted in Jesus Christ as their only Redeemer and hope of eternal life. They're the haves, and to those that have, more will be given, and they'll have an abundance. To those who do not have, even that which they have, Judas saw Judas heard. Judas walked with the Lord. Judas saw those miracles. Ate, drank, walked with the Lord. Yet what he has shall ultimately and was ultimately taken away because he did not have true and genuine faith. The third lesson we want to learn this morning very quickly is found in what I call the Lord's look. Are you back in Luke 22? Let's look in verses 60 and 62. This is the most penetrating and convicting, frankly, part of this narrative. Beginning in verse 60 of Luke 22, Peter denied when he was confronted, but Peter said, man, I, I do not know what you're talking about. But did he? And immediately while he was still speaking, while he was in the midst of, of that denial of the Lord that he even knew him, while he was still speaking, a cock crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Wow. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him before a cock crows today, you will deny me three times. What's in a look? <laughs> well, in this case, a whole, whole lot is in a look. What might have been the Lord's purpose in turning to Peter and looking at him while he was denying the Lord but not speaking to him? The Lord didn't say anything, but he turned and he looked. 
Well, we can only suppose because it's not given in the text, but we can suppose, and let me offer a possibility. I think it was love, and I think it was compassion towards Peter from the Lord because he is love incarnate. I think it was the self-sacrificial love of the Lord which he exhibited over and over. Yes, the Lord could have turned and looked angrily at Peter, but it doesn't say that. I told you, that's what I'd say, right? <laughs> Sorry for yelling. You know, and that's just weakness. But there's no weakness in Christ. Here's a man arrested, a man abused, a man about to go to the ultimate sacrifice for those that he loved. And while he is preparing himself and is, is going through these actual events, his strong disciple and first and foremost follower is over here on the side denying that he even knows him. And, but the Lord looks. He, and he looks at him. But he doesn't say anything. And so what's in that look? Well, it's love. It's compassion. It's, it's what 1 John 4.10 says. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. It's the unselfish, agape, self-sacrificing love that only God truly has in and of Himself and shows and explains and exhibits to us in the Lord Jesus Christ and everything that He did and said. It's the love that we aspire to, but the love that we often do not have. We had a time of confession earlier, and in that time of confession, part of your confession may have been, I'm to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, body, and strength, mind and strength, and to love my neighbor as myself. Am I a success in that? No, I've often failed. But Jesus never failed in that love. Here He is, yielding Himself as a sacrifice, going through mental and physical anguish in our behalf, and his follower denies him, and he looks at him, and I just have to imagine that he looked at him, and in those eyes, Peter saw love. Peter saw compassion. Peter saw a man that had told him that he would go through this, and that he should come out on the other side better for it, having learned from it, and to encourage others by it. Well, it's a hard lesson to learn for sure, because it said that Peter went out and he wept bitterly, Right in the midst of the denial. I don't know him. I don't know what you're talking about. The Lord's looking right into his eyes. I mean that, folks, that hits you right in the heart. And that's the look that Peter gave. Repentance includes recognition of our sin and our failure. Repentance includes turning away from our sin and turning to Christ as our all-sufficient Savior. Peter went out and wept bitterly. He didn't, I don't believe, weep bitterly just for his failure. He wept bitterly that the eyes of true love incarnate looked at him with compassion and love in the midst of one of the worst failures any ever recorded in the Scripture. And he went out and he wept. And in the midst of those tears, though, I think that there had to be the recognition. He remembered what the Lord told him. The Lord said, I'd do this. I did it. I did it. But at the same time, he remembered the Lord said, when you come through out on the other side of this, you're going to be a beacon of light and a bit of hope and strength to people that go through the same things like you did. And he strengthens us today with the words that we see. 
That look at Peter was a look at each of us, isn't it? It's a look that says, I know what's in your heart, the Lord Jesus says. I want you to trust me. It's a look that says, even in your most bitter failures, in times of greatest disappointment, in yourself and in others, I'm the one who lifts up your head. I'm the one who strengthens your heart. And in that look, we learn what Proverbs 3, 5, and 7 say. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Trust in the wisdom of God and not in your own and strength of God and not your own strength. Martin Luther in his epic poem and hymn, A Mighty Fortress, wrote, Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side. The man of God's own choosing. Thus ask who that may be? Christ Jesus. It is He. And it goes on. But if we in our own strength confide, if we're confiding in ourselves, and Peter was a bold and confident man at that time, if we confide in our own wisdom, and some of you are doing that, some of you are saying, well, I'll, I'll take this part of Christ, that part of Christ. I like this part of the Bible. I don't like that. I like what the church teaches here, but I don't like what the church teaches there. No, you take all of Christ or you take none of Christ. We're not God's editors. We don't determine what part of the Word of God we will obey and what part we will not. And we don't trust in our own wisdom. Well, I have a better way than it's been done before. I've got a new thing that I'm going to bring into the church. I know the Bible says this, but I'm trusting in my own wisdom to do things the way I want to do them. Well, just as the Lord encouraged Peter, He encourages us, and we are refined by our failures. The refining pot is for silver and the furnace is for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. Proverbs 17.3 One last place I want you to look, and it's in 1 Peter. We're going through the book of 2 Peter in the adult Sunday school class. We've really only just begun, but we're learning a lot about Peter there, and we also learn that Peter did learn the lesson that the Lord intended for him to learn from his failure. Later he was restored. We won't go into that account there by the sea where the Lord asked him three times, Lord, I'm sorry, uh, Peter, uh, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know I love you. And uh, he was he was further refining him. He was restoring Peter, essentially, building him up. But First Peter chapter 1 and verses 6 and 7, we can see right here as he writes to the church later and much later in life that the great apostle had learned the lesson that Christ taught him back then, and he never ever forgot it. And he tells, encourages the church that in the midst of their uh, rejoicing about what has God has done, in verse 6, that they're also to greatly rejoice, uh, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various temptations. That the proof or genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. His praise and His glory and His honor first and foremost, but also we in Him, saved by Him, kept by Him, loved by Him, preserved by Him, enter into that glory with Him because He has purposed to share it with us. When you come out on the other side, repentant, humbled, and matured, 
from this denial, I want you to strengthen your brothers. That's a revealing look, isn't it? That when the Lord looks at us like that to reveal what's truly in our heart. So what do we learn? We learn the flesh is weak. The spiritual battle is fierce, fierce and only Christ wins the battle. We don't win the battle. When we're in Christ, He wins the battle. Therefore, we share in His success. In whom are you placing your confidence this morning? You may be a pretty sharp fella. You may be a cracker of a smart gal. But listen, human wisdom will not win the spiritual battle. We need the wisdom of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Second thing we learn, not only the flesh is weak, but that Simon Peter did not have ability in himself to defeat Satan, but he did have real faith in Christ. And that's what I encourage you with this morning. You will win because Christ wins. You are in the church. You are going, uh, he says to the church that he will soon crush Satan under your feet. And that's to the church collectively. He's going to crush Satan under our feet. The Lord's done the work. The Lord has the power. The Lord has the grace and the will. And we share in that victory We'll have spiritual victory only as we remain near and close in fellowship with Christ and trust and obey His Word. You can close the book. You can deny part of the book. You can only take parts of the book. But the farther you go from the source of strength and safety and victory, the weaker you will become in your faith. Rather than gaining the victory in your own wisdom that you think you might be gaining, you will be losing because you'll be leaning to your own understanding. The Bible clearly says that we're not to do that. Third lesson we learn is the Lord looks at us (laughs) when we fail with His all-seeing eye, just as He looked at Peter after Peter denied Him. But He looks at us how? In anger and judgment. No, we're His children. We're His dear children. He looks at us with compassion. He looks at us with a look that says, will you now... Trust in me in a way that you hadn't before. Will you now get rid of that pride, Peter? Will you now stop having confidence in those strong, you know, uh, muscles of yours and that you can overpower people because you have a strong will? Will you learn that the real power of the Christian life is found in our weakness? Because when we are weak, He shows Himself strong. Love and compassion was in the look that he gave to Peter. It's in the look that he gives to us. I don't know what's been happening in all of your lives. I know some of it lately. But I don't know that there's been great failures, sad, bitter disappointments. But I think that there probably have been because it's common to all of us. And I pray that the refining fire, purification that the Lord brings in our bitter failures will purify our hearts, that we'll discover what's really there, that we'll discover that, oh, our faith is very, very small, it's genuine faith, and that carries the day. And I pray that we'll cast off all confidence and all self-wisdom, confidence in ourselves and wisdom in ourselves, and we will look to the Word of God. Who knows us better than our Creator? Who knows what we need better than our Creator? Who has given more wisdom than God? And the answer, of course, is none. And the Lord looks into your heart and reveals it. How will you, in fact, respond?
Are we learning? Will we learn the lessons of Peter's failure and disappointment? Well, just as the Lord showed great compassion and love to the apostle during that moment of weakness, he shows great love and compassion to us. This morning we have a great example of the fellowship and communion of our Lord in the time of the Lord's table. The communion, of course, speaks to our fellowship with Christ. The word communion speaks of of our fellowship with Him. The idea of a table, the Lord's table, invites, invites the idea of a host and hospitality. We come to receive the blessing of His provision, not because we're worthy, but because we are undeserving and we acknowledge the grace, His grace and care for us in our spiritual journey by His spiritual presence. We partake of this grace because we need Him to nourish and sustain us on our way. The service is, of course, a physical sign. It's physical elements that are presented to the, to the senses. It's bread and it's wine. But our hope is not in the sign, is it? But in the thing that is signified by that sign. The table signifies the benefits of the new covenant, including our spiritual nourishment and growth in grace. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, the Apostle Paul enjoins us to examine ourselves. And this involves a proper discerning of the elements of the Lord's table, which represent the sacrifice of Christ. And we should come to the elements in faith and repentance. Heidelberg Catechism question 81 says, asks, For whom is the Lord's Supper instituted? The answer, for those who are truly sorrowful for their sins, and yet trust that these are forgiven them for the sake of Christ, and that their remaining infirmities are covered by His passion and death, and who also earnestly desire to have their faith more and more strengthened and their lives more holy. Again, in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the question is asked, question 97, what is required for the worthy receiving of the Lord's Supper? The answer, it's required of them that would worthily partake of the Lord's Supper that they examine themselves of their knowledge to discern the Lord's body, of their faith, to feed upon Him, of their repentance, love, and new obedience, lest coming unworthily they eat and drink judgment to themselves. I invite you this morning to uh, partake of the Lord's table if you are, in fact, a Christian, child of God by faith. This is not the table of Grace Bible Church. This is the table of the Lord. And so the service is open to all who confess Christ and have been baptized, who are not under church discipline, and who are not living in any known sin for which you are unrepentant. If you're a Christian visiting with us today, you are invited to place at the Lord's table. Reading from the Belgic Confession of Faith, for the support of the spiritual and heavenly life which believers have, He has sent them a living bread which came down from heaven, namely Jesus Christ, who nourishes and sustains the spiritual life of the believers when He is eaten by them, that is, spiritually appropriated and received by faith. So as the bread is broken and served to you, we invite you to engage the Lord in time of private prayer and silent confession, certainly in thanksgiving for the grace of the Lord to cover all of our sins and celebration of His grace to you. And I ask you to please hold the bread until all are served, at which time we will 
eat together so that we can show a sign of our unity and as we partake together. For forgiving us of all of our sins. We thank you for the grace that keeps us safe. Bless us individually and corporately as we partake of this sign to signify that we are thine. Make us full that we might go away strengthened all the more to live for you and for your kingdom. Amen. And coming to the wine <clears throat> from the Belgic Confession of Faith, Article 35, we read, He, Christ, testifies to us as certainly as we take and hold the sacrament in our hand and eat and drink it with our mouths, by which our physical life is then sustained, so certainly do we receive by faith as the hand and mouth of our soul the body and blood of Christ, our only Savior, in our souls for spiritual life. As the service is passed, I invite you again to engage the Lord in time of silent prayer uh, for all of his blessings to you. And please hold the cup until all are served, and then we will, as, as a sign of our unity, uh, partake together. Remind you that in the center two uh, rows of the communion service is wine, and in the periphery is grape juice that uh, each one may partake according to their own uh, tradition. And so we come to the time of the service of the wine. Lord, again, we thank you for drinking the cup of judgment that we might escape the wrath of God we so richly deserve. For this cup of the new covenant and celebration of our new life and hope, bless us individually and corporately. We might shine as lights in a dark world and so testify that we belong body and soul unto thee. Amen.